Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Belgium dig in to send Ronaldo and co packing and the Dutch are going home after getting a shock from Schick. Also, can France and Spain hit top form to gain a place in the last eight? And how are the Germans feeling ahead of that huge game at Wembley? This is the Game Euro 2020. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to your podcast. Please, please do leave us a five-star review. And also, of course, make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. You know the drill. Come on, after all these episodes, go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to start your free trial. And of course, you can get it for less than a pound per day. Uh, joining me today on today's episode, of course, Gregor Robertson, Tom Roddy. How are you? Hi, Hugh. How you doing? I'm glad to you. A little bit underwhelmed by the knockout football so far, but I'm going to try and keep it upbeat and positive. Although it doesn't sound that I know. <laughs> these big names are not delayed. I keep giving them the big sell. Oh, I can't wait for this massive game between know. these two huge nations and they've been the worst game so far. Yeah, the pressure's on, I think. I'm just pleased to see uh, Schick saying in the uh, competition because it just seems that social media cannot have enough <laughs> yeah. time to come up with puns <laughs> with his name. Um, so... Long is that a good thing? Is that really a good thing? Well, uh, yeah, sure. I feel like I sound a little bit exhausted with it. Probably. Listen, if that is the most that we can take out of today's games, then they must have been <laughs> dire. You know, a couple of tweets about Patrick Schick's name on social media. Portugal are out. I don't know if they were necessarily underwhelming, though. It was a tense, tight evening in Seville. Plenty of physical and aggressive play in the match, but in the end, Torgan Hazard's long-distance strike was the difference as Belgium beat the Portuguese. One goal to nil. As I say, it wasn't a classic. Gregor, do you feel like the best team won on the evening? I think they just about deserved it, Belgium. I think we saw something. You've got to give them credit. You know, I said at the start of the, the tournament, still a little bit question, a few question marks about their kind of strength at the back, and there were you know some fragility there. I still thought you know they held on and they threw threw their bodies on the line, and they there was a real bombardment. The last, to be fair, the last fifteen minutes of that game today was like excellent tournament knockout football uh, kind of you know throwing the kitchen sink at it but Belgium stood strong and I think they deserve credit for that so I think they just about deserved it because Portugal Did they? do you not think so no I just thought I mean the, the, if 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 um, Diaz's header had been anywhere but the, but the goalkeeper and the opportunity that hits the post I didn't think I, I thought the opportunities that they had it, on, uh, sorry for the cliche, but on a different day, it would have it would have so easily gone the other way. I thought, anyway. I think you'd, you've named those two chances, and they were their two best chances. But aside from that, there was a lot of half chances. I, I just think that they didn't really go for it until the last 20, 25 minutes. And you know, they threw on Fernandez, they threw on Jal Felix, and they had a little bit more impetus about their play. But they were one 0 down. They. I just felt they were really conservative up until that point and 
I, I think I think Belgium deserved it. Come on then, Tom. What's your state of case for Portugal? My my, my case for Portugal. I I was disappointed with Portugal in the first half because I thought they allowed. I thought they allowed Ronaldo to just get isolated, completely isolated up top, and they he he wasn't in the game at all. And this isn't really a strong case for Portugal. No, no, it's not. It's not. It's um. (laughs) It's uh. It's no, it's not. But (laughs) then I I, (laughs) allow me to finish, Um, Hugh. But then in the second half, they were an entirely different team because they actually. completely changed it up. Ronaldo came that little bit deeper. Silva and Yotta got closer to him, got got further forward. And they were I thought I thought they were so much better. I, I felt I can I agree with you in that um I felt that, that was a game for Belgium where this feeling of it being a last chance opportunity it, it, you felt that in the game and they sort of rode their luck a little bit. Um, but they, there seems to be a real sort of, I think there's a real fragility there. Uh, I, I, the one that surprised me the most, though, was actually the Marlin. I mean, the guy is 35 years old, but he still looked like he was about 29 during that game. I thought he was excellent. Um, Hasn't played much football in the past six years, so he might still be 29 <laughs> for all we know. But the... the, the <sighs> The run from that performance, the side of the draw that Belgium are in, I, I, I would be surprised if they continue to play that way and do and do get over the line this year. I thought their passing was more purposeful. There seemed to be more of a plan with the way that Belgium certainly went forward in the game. And I think they showed uh, that they were more of a cohesive unit than Portugal on the night. And I think that was maybe the reason that they just edged it. You know, towards the end of the game, there were a few sort of you know, two on ones, threes on twos, you know, where if the final ball had been better, maybe if Romelu Lukaku hadn't run himself into the ground in the previous sort of 85 minutes, the final pass might have been there. But I think there were there were more opportunities for Belgium in that game. You know, the one nil felt like, it felt like to me they deserved it anyway. I'm not, I'm not sure, but one of the things that I was disappointed with not just tonight but throughout the tournament was that Portugal you know for all of their huge array of attacking stars they never really got the best out of them I don't think at any point in time look okay Cristiano Ronaldo scored five goals I don't think he had a particularly great tournament I've got to say but then Bernardo Silva Diogo Jota Bruno Fernandes João Felix none of them really showed what they can do at this tournament. And and Cristiano Ronaldo, despite his five goals, for me, falls into that category as well. So who do you blame for that, Gregor? Is it individuals? Is it the manager? I think it's the manager, largely. I think, as I say, they, they, they move the ball really slowly <laughs> and there's not much impetus about their play. It's kind of, it is very conservative. And that's, you know, look, that's how they won, won the competition five years ago. And when you've got Ronaldo in your team, there's all, you always think there's a, there's a chance. And he, you know, you're right. He didn't do much today. There was the, the odd little kind of flick. He was getting, getting into dangerous areas in the box, but the ball wasn't really finding him. It's not, I agree. I think when you look at the, the, the kind of stellar standard of players that they have available to them, and actually the fact that you can't find room for Bruno Fernandes, you can't find room for Joe Felix, you know, it's, perhaps he's got kind of an embarrassment of riches, and it kind of there's all. It's a bit like England. I said this the other day. There's always going to be someone that you can point at and say, "Why is he not playing? Or why is he not being given an opportunity? Why is he not doing more?" Because they, are, we know that these are really top level players, and they've not got the best out of them. So, I think a lot of that does uh, does lie with the manager personally, and uh, and it's clear that 
the, the kind of with the the slow, turgid pace of their play. That this was this is the way that Portugal play. Well, I wonder as well. You would absolutely have Cristiano Ronaldo in your team, um, especially in sort of tournament football for the goals he scores. But sometimes, especially nights like tonight, it feels like his presence can be a hindrance because at times the sort of you could see the disgust on his face when Bruno Fernandes took um, took a long range shot late on. Jao Felix's shot that was uh, just went wide, didn't it? That one. And the, the, he was—he did not hide his emotions at all. And and I agree with you, Gregor. I think a lot of it is the, is it is down to the manager. And I thought if they'd have played the way they did in the second half, in the in the first half, where they were they were poor in the first half, then I think they 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 probably could have beaten Belgium. But at time, it does feel like one of those teams where the manager is is the man up front. Really, I agree with you in a way. You know, the, the the element of him being a hindrance is that for me, maybe over the past, you know, decade, they've relied on him to provide a spark going forward for him to be that difference maker. Maybe it was a, a brilliant pass, a piece of skill, whatever it might be. His powers are clearly waning and it might be fantastic to have an array of talent around him. But I think those players with the magnitude of his, you know, his career, his reputation, you know, they've almost deferred to Cristiano Ronaldo during this competition and almost said to him, right, well, we'll, whatever you do, we'll sort of work off. No one took the responsibility away from him to actually grapple with the attack and say, if he's not going to be the person that provides a spark, then it's going to be me, whether that's Diogo Jota or João Felix off the bench. You know, and maybe it's part, part, you know, you can still say it's the manager. The manager still needs to give them something more. You can't just rely on Cristiano Ronaldo. But it did to me seem like the whole outfit, you know, the whole of Portuguese football almost was so used to Cristiano Ronaldo being the man that they haven't yet realized he's not the same player. And actually, one of these great talents is going to have to, they're just going to have to, over the coming years, you know, take the mantle away from him. I'm just saying, there's no question there. It's just a it's just a point that I'm making, really. Portugal did st- still have 23 shots in the game. Now, that is the most in the tournament without actually scoring a goal. So it could have been down to a fantastic defensive performance from the Belgians. What did you think about their backline, Gregor? I know you mentioned it already, but, but I, I think it deserves credit because that was my major concern. Absolutely. I've certainly been someone who said willing to highlight Vertonghen and Alderweireld that are probably past the peak of their powers. Vermaelen, you can say the same about Vermaelen. You know, having Witzel back in front of him is a boost. And Courtois, when he needed to make a saver, when he came out, you know, Silva was, there was a flick from Ronaldo. Silva was into the back post. He was out, pounced on it quickly. That was really good goalkeeping. So, the, you know, the... They're all big players. I, sw- I just, th- I just think that I've just that's still the one one question mark for uh, you know about them for me. And I think they showed me something different that I haven't really seen from Belgium before. They have been put under pressure like that before, and with and you know you think back to when they played against Wales and they kind of crumbled really uh, in the last Euros. <clears throat> so there was a there was a there was potential for that to happen tonight, and they didn't do it. So I do think they deserve some credit. I'm not saying that it was a it was a magnificent performance by any stretch of the imagination. It was a kind of a well-struck goal, but there's question marks about the goalkeeper, and you know that really was the difference. It swerved in there, um, and he didn't create many, many chances. Lukaku was always a, you know, as he said, he was tireless with his running. Sometimes 
overran it perhaps but you, you got to take the rough with the smooth with Lukaku and he was you know he had a nightmare to play against wound up Pepe which I love to see mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah have, when you've got him as your kind of focal point up front as well when your backs are against the wall what an asset that is you know I think they deserve some credit Hell, they're through they're through <laughs> they definitely deserve no, credit they're, they're through, through. But, but the, the best thing about it is they showed us something that we haven't really seen from Belgium yeah. in this golden generation which is grinding out results in the knockout stage when it really matters. They either play brilliantly and dismiss their opponents or they lose. So, you know, for me, it was a big, big step forward, especially as a huge figure in the shape of Kevin De Bruyne went off injured with an ankle injury. And look, it's almost a familiar story now for Belgium, isn't it? Lukaku, excellent. Eden Hazard, maybe back to his best tonight as well. But they can't do this, can they, Tom? if they haven't got De Bruyne, or can they? They do have the talent there, um, players to come in. I mean, I, I do think there's a strange thing in, in England where we still sort of think of Torgan Hazard as just being the, the, the little brother to Eden, but he's got a career, you know, he's got a real career of his own as well, which is, especially in Germany, has been excellent. Um, but they, they, they do have a depth of talent. And also, you know, hearing you talk about Lukaku, I completely agree. Um, and I think if they are if they are to do it this year I actually think Lukaku is going to be the main reason for it um, because there is an air about him this summer of um, total confidence you know though that was a that was a strong thing to say the other day about I belong in that category of of Kane Lewandowski Ronaldo um, I belong up there and then and then even tonight, you know, at the end of the game, the moment with Ronaldo, it's 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 like this sort of um, meeting of the two protagonists in the team, and this not necessarily a succession, but there's there's a real air about him that if if we're going to do it, I'll do it, I'll lead us there. On De Bruyne, I mean, we saw him. Uh, leave the Champions League final, uh, in it absolutely devastated. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure whether this is. I think I don't think he wanted to risk it. Um, I have absolutely no idea by not not being there. But just from from what we're seeing, the fact he went out there and just tried, I don't think it's his tournament over or anything like that. And I think I think they can do it without him. Also, so Hazard kind of leaving, clutching his hamstring. So, I mean. Yeah, maybe one of them. If both of them, if they lost both of them, yeah, it's, it's a different Belgium team, really. Just quickly, Gregor, Belgium versus Italy next on Friday night in Munich. Are you expecting a, a turgid affair? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, Italy let us down a little bit, didn't they? They were, they were the kind of uh, the fans' favourite of the tournament so far, and I thought they were quite fortunate, really, to to get past Austria the other night. So. Look, I just have, I just hope very much that Italy are a little bit more back to what we've seen from, seen from them before. Still going to be, you know, so much talent on the pitch, and two teams that kind of, uh, you know, as we say, we've criticised Portugal tonight. We've criticised many teams. They don't really look like they've got a plan. I think both of these teams do look like they have a plan. They're set out, and we see their kind of the system they're playing, and the way they want to try and dominate possession. It's got the makings of a good game. I really hope it will be, but that doesn't sound like a confident answer, does it? (laughs) (laughs) Got goalless draw written all over it for me, Tom. Having just said that they didn't deserve to go through, I think they will... Not, not that they didn't deserve to go through. That that they were that they were there was an element of fortune there. I, I think they'll they'll bring an end to to Italy's run. And I think the thing is, they are a side where they've, they've just got they've 
got talent everywhere. You can't. It's not like what you, what you saw tonight with with Portugal. They just focused on Ronaldo, didn't they? Keep him quiet, and that's all that matters. With 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 Belgium, you just can't do that at all. It comes from absolutely everywhere. I mean, like I said, you look, you expect you expect Eden Hazard to provide it, and his his um, younger brother is the one who gets the gets the stunning goal um, that, that wins the game. So. Yeah, I see them going through. Well, it's another great game for us to look forward to, at least on the game podcast at Euro 2020. Up next, we will look back at a dreadful day for the Dutch at Euro 2020 before we look ahead to a game at Wembley as well. Plenty still to come. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, earlier the Dutch and their dreams at Euro 2020 came crashing down with the shock of the tournament so far, I think, the unfancied Czech Republic beat the Netherlands 2-0 in Budapest and they were totally nullified. They did, though, gain some unenviable uh, records on the way, let's call it that, because for the first time since records began in 1980, the Netherlands failed to record a single shot on target at any game they've played at either a European Championship or a World Cup. Jorginho Wijnaldum completed just 10 passes in the game, the fewest by a Dutch outfield player during the same space of time since 1980. And just for fun, I thought I'd throw this one in. The four red cards in Euro's history for the Netherlands have been against either the Czech Republic or, as they were formerly known, Czechoslovakia. That's just for good measure. Uh, Gregor, what happened to, and I'll say it, your boys, the Netherlands? Uh, so disappointing, you know. They too had that big soliloquy about about Italy and, and the Netherlands. <laughs> Come on, I want to see brave teams win this tournament. And good luck, Belgium. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I look, the thing is, I'm not convinced they would have won with eleven men. I think the Czech Republic deserve a lot of credit. They were they were really solid and frustrated them, and but they offered a threat as well. But they, look, there's no doubt that the game kind of swivelled in that that little period where. Uh, Malin went through and missed, and then Delict sending off, which which was a sending off. You know there was some doubt about it, but I I think it was it was clearly intentional. Not that that matters necessarily these days. It's just that he was the last man, and the the, the Czech striker was going through. So obviously that that you know the, the game turned was turned on its head. Um, but from that point, I think you just saw kind of a real soft underbelly in the in the Dutch team and. You know, they didn't really adapt. They didn't. Uh, they they just didn't adapt to going to down to men. You know, they, they can often be a way of frust- an opportunity to frustrate the opponents, and and they had players like Depay to play on the break, but they they really they didn't show anything. And I have to say the 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 second goal as well. It was bizarre. I, the Daily Blint was running across, and the ball was cut back, and it was kind of you know stick was kind of twelve yards out, if that, and it. He didn't even like really attempt to block to block it. I just, I don't know. Some some of some of them just looked like they kind of their hearts sunk and their heads, you know, heads fell as soon as they went down to ten men, and and it was in evidence in their play. And really, really disappointing for them to exit the tournament after what was what had been a really quite promising uh, group stage. I think they got found out was was the truth of it. I, I agree with you that it was a promising 
group stage, but they were never truly tested in that group. And I mean, when you, I think also the, the guy who went off, the fact it was delict because that first yeah. game against Ukraine, when he didn't play, he had, I think it was a groin injury and he couldn't play. And they, they were so, there was such a, a sort of vulnerability to them. I mean, they went 2 0 up and then totally capitulated and were fortunate to get the late winner. And then you saw De Ligt come in for the second game against Austria and he just orchestrated everything from the back, um, was was tight, was reading everything. He reads the games. Well, <laughs> I was just about to say he reads the game so well um, and then thought about the highlight of this game tonight, um, <laughs> which he didn't read so well. But the, the fact it was him who was gone, I think that psychologically... Uh, that psychologically ruins them a lot. That probably explains a little bit why, as you say, Gregor, that that image of them sort of slumping shoulders and, and almost giving up um, because their, their tournament's been based on a lot of, also based on a lot of creating a lot of opportunities and actually not taking, uh, not taking all of them. Um, and as you as you pointed out, fascinatingly, Hugh, about Wijnaldum making such few passes. It's incredible. It, yeah, I, 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 I wrote last week about how he, you know, he's so much more creative playing for Holland than he is than he was for Liverpool playing as that advanced number ten. Um, and it was really interesting to look at, you know, scoring more goals for the Netherlands in, I think it was like 160 less games than Liverpool. And, um, but then tonight maybe explains why you put, you put a decent, def- decent midfield up against it, decent defensive midfielder. Um, and it, it totally nullifies him. He's not, he's not of the caliber of, of the Bruno Fernandes in that kind of number 10 role. It's not really a conversation for now, but I thought I would use this point to uh, point out that the, the players haven't just, you know, been affected by the knockout stages either. The refereeing has fallen off a cliff. I'm not going to get into it now, but I want to mark this because I am sure we're going to be coming back to it later. And and it included not sending off Matthias Delict and giving him a yellow card when he was clearly the last man. So I, I blame the referee for that one. But like I say, we'll come back to the officiating, I'm sure, at some point. At, at this point, I think I should give the Czechs credit because they have been fantastic in this competition. They just look, Gregor, incredibly tough to beat. Yeah. I, I, look, I think fantastic's pushing it. I think you're going a bit too much, <laughs> too much credit there. I still think back to the Scotland game, I would do, obviously. Comfortable uh, win? Well... 19 shots, 19 <laughs> shots to their 10, and we had 60% possession. And like, I thought we were the better team. But again, I would say that. But I, I think the, I think what they have is a really, a really good striker, and who's had a, in Schick that's had a, you know, a great tournament. And you're right, they're well organised. I think what we're seeing, and we've seen it in the, in the, in the kind of knockout stage so far, our team's kind of solidly getting through the group stage. And Austria were the same last night. You know, they're, they're solid and well organised, and I think well coached I think we have to give them credit and they made life very hard for Austria made life very hard for Italy and they made life very hard for the Netherlands today but they have a threat they have enough quality to kind of or you know dangers from set piece things like that they have enough um, to get through and yeah so they deserve credit but I, I 
personally think that they'll they'll come and stuck against against Denmark. I don't think they were. I think they've done brilliantly to get this far, but I, I think Denmark are, are a better team. Well, we're just going to put a massive downer on it the day they beat the Netherlands. Unbelievable. <laughs> and that's the team you talked up as well. Tom Roddy, do you have anything positive to say about the Czechs? Well, yes, but in the way of tonight, I think they, they were almost the total opposites to the Netherlands where there seemed like an, a freedom to play and... Um, uh, in De Boer's team, which wasn't expected before the tournament, um, an absolute freedom to play, and they were, they were pretty exciting and and, and almost a, bit, a little bit frantic at times. Whereas the Czechs seem to manage the game really well, and they're just very very effective. You've got a, and, a, and you've got a great sort of core to the team, which actually I think is a similarity to. Um, to Denmark, which maybe maybe it's because of Gregor getting so excited about the knockouts, which have now disappointed. I'm concerned this game, Denmark against the Czech Republic, is going to be disappointing just to tee us up for it to actually be a good one, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you can work your magic on it. Uh, Tom, I know you've you've been looking at the Dutch team. Frank de Boer, talk to me about him. Is he now on the managerial scrap heap? I mean, what sort of Netherlands manager abandons 4-3-3? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what... Um, that's exactly what you know. This whole the clamour in this country for Jack Grealish to be playing uh, for England. That is what it was like in the Netherlands for them to be playing four three three over De Boer's idea for the five. Um, well, it was more of a three at the back, really. Um, three, four, one, two. Um, that was what it was like, and probably more so. It, it, it felt like he was the only person in the country. But the problem was he, he kind of got vindicated for it in the group stages because they were exciting and, and relatively solid and probably the, the star guy of, of the team or one of the sort of emerging names for us was Denzel Dumfries, who... Um, is a little bit erratic, but he's he 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 worked really nicely as one of those wing backs, and and I thought Van Arnhol had a really good competi- uh, tournament as well as as a wing back. So I I don't actually think he did too much wrong there. It's just one thing I've noticed is how little managers are kind of changing things in games, trying different things, and that was that was the one thing that stood out. Um, even with Delic going off, I didn't think they tried enough, to be honest. I mean, it got near the end. They send on Weghorst, giant bloke up top, and and just go straight to him, which certainly wasn't total football. Gregor, on the scrap heat, the Premier League's worst ever manager, in the words of Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, think Steve Parrish would be calling. <laughs> the signs are as he'll be, he'll be on his way out, and I think... You know, I think a lot of people will be calling for some uh, some some young young blood and dynamism to to come into this team. There were, look, I, as I say, I really enjoyed watching the team. I enjoyed watching most in the in the group stage along with Italy, and it's just a really disappointing way for them to go. Because I think you know, even if they, they didn't really they didn't really go out swinging, they just 
they kind of folded like a pack of cards, really, when after a bit of misfortune or, or you know, delivered error, and and that's really a disappointment for them to end. But there's so much promise there as well, isn't there? There's so much promise that you've got uh, against sort of a core of Delict and and Diong, who I thought was brilliant. They they just miss a real goal scorer, I think, up front, like a real prolific goal scorer. Uh, other than that, um, so so they really they do need to get it right ahead of ahead of the next tournament. They certainly do because the Czech Republic are the team that go marching on and we now know either the Czechs or Denmark will play in the semi-finals of Euro 2020, which for many will be a big surprise. They could face either England or Germany when they get there. The winner of that tie would face Sweden or Ukraine as favourites, we expect, before that semi-final. So ahead of a huge game at Wembley between England and Germany, we caught up with the German side of things, I asked the Times' Konstantin Eckner uh, what the mood was like over in Germany ahead of the match. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There are mixed feelings in Germany. I, I, I've, I mean, because the team has played decent in one match and played quite badly in another. I mean, meaning the, the Portugal win, of course, was something positive. But there was also the match against France, where you got the feeling that Germany doesn't really have a chance against one of the top teams. And Hungary was also, a, a, you know, more of, more of a, a down match, so to say. Um, so a lot of people, um, you know, regardless of England being the opponent, um, I think a lot of people are concerned about uh, Germany being knocked out so early um, because there's really the feeling that the team can't compete with the best in Europe right now. Um, so I think that's kind of the, the general feeling. Uh, it's not really concerning England, but just you know because England is of course uh, regarded as one of the top teams, one of the best teams in Europe right now. Germany aren't a bad side, are they? I think you're just spoiled. I mean, you've had so many great teams over the years. What's really going wrong? with this German team in terms of the, the perception amongst maybe journalists and fans? I mean, it's a mix of, of a couple of things. In, in the past couple of years, um, you, you just saw a team that's, of course, talented, you know, when you look at the individuals that are in the team. Um, but you can also see a team that might lack a few of the, you know, parts of the recipe you need to really succeed again. Um, meaning, you know, the team doesn't really have a center forward. Um, the team might not have the, the the kind of leaders you need. I mean, looking back at 2014, winning the World Cup, you got a couple of leaders like Schweinsteiger, Philipp Lahm, and so on. Um, and you also got a center forward at the time, Jaroslav Klose. So, and the team is talented around uh, a couple of positions, you know, attacking midfield, um, centre-back positions, full-back positions, um, but you lack a couple of ingredients you probably need. And also... In the past few years, the team and the German FA in general, um, they haven't presented themselves in the best light. Um, there have been some marketing campaigns that didn't really work out. Um, you know, some some things were look very and appear to be very artificial, how the team is presented, um, how it wants to be portrayed in the public. And fans can't really connect with the team right now in a way uh, that happened in the past when just, you know, People were proud of the German team, even if the German team didn't win 
at a big tournament or something, but they were at least proud and they were, you know, they were into it. And then right now they aren't um, as much as they they have in, in Norwegian Tower and past times. We England fans feel your pain on that one. We haven't connected with the squad for a while, but things are slightly better since 2018 for us at the moment anyway. Listen, listen, looking ahead to the game, how do you expect the German manager, Joachim Löw, to play in the match? Will there be big changes? One thing we have learned from the group stage is that uh, Löw doesn't make big changes and he, he doesn't really adjust his tactical system to the opponent. Uh, he basically just lets them, lets the team play the same things over and over again, <laughs> regardless of who the opponent is. I mean, if you look at the three matches they had so far, um, it basically looked the same, especially in possession. You know, you saw these uh, diagonal balls, um, you saw some of these switch plays and you saw how slow possession in, in their own for, in their own third or in their own half. And I think in their own change against England, uh, what Löw wants to do is um, establish a sort of dominance with a lot of possession, um, 60%, 65% or so if, you know, if England allows Germany to have uh, so much possession, but at least that's the approach. And then um, either playing down the field through the middle through Tony Kroos and, and Ilkay Gundogan as the playmakers, um, or maybe playing diagonal balls to Robin Gosens, the left back, or, or uh, Joshua Kimmich, the right back, um, which worked out great against um, Portugal, but it didn't really work against Hungary and, and France. So there's also a question to be asked. But uh, in general, I mean, I have a couple of ideas what Löw might or should do against England because I, I see a couple of weak spots. Problem is that um, I don't really expect him to really make big changes. I mean, the only thing he might do in terms of changes, maybe bringing in Leon Goretzka um, as, as a midfielder, maybe instead of uh, Ilkay Gundogan or maybe instead of one of the attacking players to just have Gundogan as a physical force against uh, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. Um, and, and Gundogan, uh, Goetzka played quite well against Hungary when he came in. What do you see, just quickly on that, what do you see as England's major weaknesses? I think what you have to do is because, I mean, especially looking through the German lens and looking through, through um, you know, what the German team can do with, you know, not having a center forward and so on. I mean, there's some some caveats there. Um, but what you usually, what you should do is um, you have to basically overload the space around and behind Phillips and Rice. Um, so you've got Kai Harvards as who, who plays in the middle. Who, who, basically plays as a false number nine so he drops back a little bit and he picks up a lot of passes um that you know go right next to the opposing center midfielders so he does that i mean he might be neutralized by rice for instance or maybe phillips um so you need another center uh, another attacking midfielder who then comes down the field and basically you know uh, uses some of the space that's then created by um, Phillips and Rice focusing on Harvards and maybe Thomas Müller. So Goretzka might be the, the guy to you know have this box-to-box style who's then uh, basically leading the second wave. That's something you, you should do. And also what you also do have to do is against England is um, once you lose possession high up the field, um, you not only have to you know just counter press, but you have to shut down the passing lanes to Raheem Sterling and Jack Grealish, or or on the other side maybe I don't know Foden for instance, you know wh- whoever plays on the on the wings for England, and there are a couple of options of course. Um, so you have to shut down these passing lanes instantly. Um, so because what what England tend to do is when they win the ball, they play down the channels, um, and they might do especially against Germany because the the fullbacks or the wingbacks uh, Kimmich and Gosens are so high up the field. So you have to shut them, shut them down instantly so you can 
regain possession immediately and then you know start a counter attack yourself uh, use the momentum for yourself and that's something you can do against england um yeah that's just a couple of ideas you know but and that's discussed yeah. you know among experts in germany but I, i'm not sure as, as i said we are we are a little bit down on joachim Löw right now <laughs> <laughs> i find that absolutely fascinating though so thank you for telling us how the enemy lines behind enemy lines how you guys are thinking about the england team i'll have to pass it on to gareth southgate but those were maybe the facts ahead of the game the scientific part of of the sport that we love but feelings emotions come into it as well the rivalry between England and Germany is huge on the English side of it I don't know what it really is like on the German side of it but do you think it's just about time the English fans let it go of course not I mean rivalries are great uh, especially in, in international football I think you need something like that because you don't have the typical derbies or something you know you don't have the Arsenal against Tottenham in international football but you need something a substitute basically but since 66 you know the Germans won most of the matches and I think they valued the rivalry still uh, because it's a great rivalry it's two traditional football nations um, and I think the, the English uh, stood also should well the rivalry and also should get some wins back because the Germans have so <laughs> have been so dominated over the years. I mean, you know, they, you have to be into it a little bit to do. I mean, otherwise you just you know get complacent and why would you? I mean, and uh, maybe the, you know maybe you got you get one win back uh, in this round of sixteen match because I think uh, the. I mean, from the German perspective, England looks like a slight favorite. I know that it might surprise some people, but from the German perspective, it looks like that. Our thanks to Constantine, which means we haven't got much time left on the game podcast. Just a quick look ahead to the games coming on Monday. Croatia versus Spain in Copenhagen. And France back in action. The world champions once again taking on Switzerland. Let's start with the Croatia versus Spain game. Very quickly, Tom Roddy. Uh, what are you expecting to see from, from Spain against Croatia? This could be a great tie, I think. You know, two teams with quality, but but plenty of imperfections. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one worry is that it becomes that sort of midfield battle a little bit because they are they are so both teams are, are based all around their their midfield i mean spain seems to have a, a complete team of them and and of course we saw the the, the criticism uh, well more than criticism the the abuse of Morata, which you don't condone at all but that can't sort of stop us from from critiquing his game and they have been one of the teams who have just wasted opportunities and Croatia could start to build momentum after a really sort of, I thought, an underwhelming group stage. And they, they just, they really miss Mandzukic, I think, this year. They're not that far off where they were three years ago. They just really miss Mandzukic. I fancy Croatia still. I think there was, you know, there was a bit of uh, hype over Spain after the 5-0 win over Slovakia. But Slovakia were woeful. You know, the flood, floodgates open. They were gifted two goals by Dubravka. The, some of the defending was just, you know, calamity. This. And yes, that will boost them. That will give them give them a big lift. I'm just not sure they've that kind of enough penetration in their team really. And they, there's, there was that stat they I think they made 2,129 passes in their three group games, which is 13 percent more than any other country. I didn't think they were much too <laughs> great to watch either. You know, they were kind of a lot of that was pretty ponderous. And as I say, they're just lacking that kind of cutting edge. And yes, Morata is someone who's devoid of confidence, and I would love to see him get a goal. But I, I think after Croatia's performance against Scotland, again, I probably would say this. 
I think they really stepped up and I think Croatia will be a force to be reckoned with. France against Switzerland then. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more from France, but reports uh, over there suggest that people expect Didier Deschamps to change his formation to a 3-5-2, another team who might be playing with three at the back at Euro 2020. Gregor, do you think he should change? No, not really. I think that they have a, they have a pretty kind of tried and tested system. It's the way that they've they've done things for many years now and well we've said many times you know over the last couple of weeks that France are a team you really want to see spark into life and you want to see their their best players really thriving and I think aside from Pogba that's not really been the case it's been effective it's got them got them this far it's it's won them won them uh, trophies it's won won them World Cup I still think they have enough kind of stardust in their team and particularly in, in, in Mbappe to to get the goals that they need and if they can keep it tight at the back then there's I still see them as favourites and it's not been brilliant to watch but it's been effective football and I think uh, I think really it would be it would be pretty surprising to see them changing that try to change that at this, this point in the competition Tom can Switzerland stop them? They're better than the sum of their parts really but uh, I don't think I don't think so. maybe if they do go to a, a three at the back maybe if Deschamps does go to a three at the back then yes they can stop them because I, I just think that would be um, a pretty uh, unwise decision uh, in the first knockout stages of a European Championship. I mean, I find it quite ironic that we spent the first week before the tournament discussing England and saying we don't know what the team is going to be, who's going to be in the side and look at France. Everyone knows what it's going to be. They're so effective and and, and they've got taking momentum into a tournament with, with a side that is tried and trusted and, and completely effective. And then it gets to the first round of the knockout stages and he thinks of changing it. I mean, that, that makes no sense to me. Maybe tomorrow night you'll be talking about how it's worked wonders. Possibly we will be. I'll tell you what, I'm going to stop telling people to tee up who they think might win the next day because it is not going great for us in terms of the prediction. <laughs> so tonight we will just leave, we'll just hang it out there. Let's see what happens. We'll see you in 24 hours. Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson, thank you so much for being with me on this episode of The Game Euro 2020 and for all of you for listening as well. Thank you. Remember, if you're enjoying all of our content across Euro 2020, then make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times right now. You'll get more great stories from the big names we brought in for the summer and, of course, our journalists all across Europe right now. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free trial. 